Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be here. Hello. <laughs> um, well, I usually start by asking um, the guests to tell about themselves and uh, what they do and how they got into languages. And so if you can tell my 14.5K listeners from 111 countries around the world how you got interested. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Hi, listeners. Uh, yeah, my name is Stephanie Fuccio, and I am the host of the Geopaths Language Podcast. Uh, a bunch of other podcasts, too, but that is the language one. And I got into languages. I'm not entirely sure how it happened. I've always been fascinated with languages. Uh, I grew up as an Italian-American, which my parents were from southern Italy, and I always heard languages around me growing up. My father spoke Italian, my mother spoke Italian and Albanian, and although I didn't speak those languages, I always had languages around me, and I, it's always something that I was curious about, but pretty lazy about until adulthood. Oh, wow. So, I mean, did you learn Albanian and um, Italian because your parents were, you know, spoke it? No. Or what English? Mm-mm. Uh, if we were, well, my parents spoke to each other in Italian, but uh, my brother's sister and I grew up in English. They, I think they really wanted us to be as American as we could and not to deal with the kind of discrimination that they did. So they really pushed for us to speak English all the time. From what I understand and remember, that is the story. <laughs> um, what was the earliest language? Oh. Experience you had, like, did you have it academically? Was it socially? Yeah, I mean, academically, we had to take language in junior high, the end of junior high, the beginning of high school, but we only had three options. We had French, German, or um, Spanish, and I didn't, I thought French was too snooty, which I've changed my opinion on that now. I think it's a gorgeous language. Uh, Spanish didn't pull me in yet. And German seemed like it sounded more interesting to me. It sounded more different and more exotic. So I picked German then, ironically, because I'm in Germany now. But, yeah. But that was the classroom experience. And like many language classroom experiences, it was very boring, non-communicative. And I couldn't wait to finish my two years of German. Yes, I remember when I started Spanish in college. And... They just gave you a textbook, some corresponding mm-hmm. CDs. You went down to the learning center, did tutoring. Um, and it was before the Internet was, you know, it was in its infancy. And, yeah. And, and there was no social media. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky to have, like, Telemundo, Univision, and, uh, you know, Ricky Martin and Ricky Iglesias, Santana, and <laughs> Clara, and Shakira. So, yeah. Um, that was my experience, and, and like you, I really wasn't pulled into Spanish. I didn't have a choice because that was the only language they had mm-hmm. at, the, at the community college campus I was at. If I wanted French or Italian, I had to go downtown, and then they only taught it at night. If I wanted Russian, I had to go on the west side and catch two buses, and it was only like uh-huh. two semesters worth. Yeah. So, I just stuck with the Spanish because I really didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, Spanish didn't really pull me in until I moved to Argentina just to um, uh, 
just to have a different change of pace, just to like take a few months off of life as if you can do that. And I, I went there because it was a cheaper place to be lazy and kind of try to write and to do all this stuff. I didn't want jobs and the interference of life and the people and all that stuff. So I, I went there. I went to Buenos Aires for that. But what I ended up doing was falling in love with the sound of Spanish in, in Buenos Aires. And so I started to pay attention and I was like, well, okay, I know I'm here to write my, my novel, which still hasn't been written, but but maybe I'll just dabble in the language. And that's probably the first time that I started to enjoy playing with languages. Now, I'm just curious, what period of time was this? Like, was this in the 2000s? Was this oh, in the 90s? Good, good question. I think that was 2004, I think. 2003 or 2004. No, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Hold on. Let me do some math. 2001, 2002, maybe 2000. Yeah, I think it's about 2004. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was at, I was at Kent in 2004, and I finished my Spanish and went on to uh, study theater for my bachelor's degree. So. Oh, nice. I um, attempted to speak it in California, but you know, you had a lot, large Mexican population, mm-hmm. and no one wanted to speak. They wanted to you know do English or tell you to practice and Mm -hmm. very crude and and I was just like uh no but I did live with a Mexican family for eight for ten months and uh, oh wow and I I learned more Spanish just listening than I did in the um 27 months of Mm -hmm. learning and I mean I was forced to speak it in class because they knew I was good at it, but yeah. I just didn't have the heart. Like, yeah. I got pleased. you know, I did very well, mm-hmm. but I just, you know, I enjoyed the culture side of it. Like, I like yeah. the dance, the music, the food, the people, and I wasn't like, no quiero hablarlo, you know, I don't want to say that. You know, <laughs> yo quiero hablar uh, otro idiomas entonces, you know, so... <laughs> Un, um, el ruso idiomas y uh, italiano idiomas y arabic um, y uh, francois idiomas entonces oh arabic if i oh gosh once i get back i'm on a brief break from language learning but once i get back to it and get mandarin or or german down the next language is Arabic. I love the script and I love the sound. I love the sounds in the back of the throat coming from Arabic. I think it sounds so gorgeous. You know, it's amazing because I, um, right now I'm doing, uh, I'm working with the Michelle Thomas method out of Boston, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts. And um, I'll be doing another year with them come Mm -hmm. next week. And so, I've been reviewing all their courses, and I'm almost done, but I will say this. Um, Out of all their courses, my favorite ones evidently are the Japanese, the Arabic, the Russian, um, the French, the Italian. Um, I like the Swedish. Mm -hmm. Um, The Irish was good. I did the starter Norwegian. I wish they would have done a foundation course. The Hindi was good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dutch was good. But for me, it was 
Um, I like the languages of the East. Mm-hmm. Um, they always pull towards me a lot more. Um, and my first course with them was Russian. Mm-hmm. And that was like my fourth language I ever learned. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had English, American Sign Language as a child. I learned mm-hmm. Spanish in college and I taught myself Russian. So, um, for me personally, like, Arabic is such a beautiful language. And because mm-hmm. I live in Akron, we have a large Arab population. We have a large Asian population and a large population of people from, uh, you know, Africa, mm-hmm. certain parts, and a lot from the Middle East. So, for me, like, I enjoy the Thai and the Japanese and the Cantonese mm-hmm. and the Hindi, the the Arabic, the Russian, the French, the Italian. So, <laughs> um, that's a lot, Chanel. That's a lot of languages. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And I, I can actually say that, like, once you learn, like, one language or a couple languages, even to a beginner level, you start realizing how easier it is for you to learn the other ones. Um, yes, Arabic has a different script. I will say that. Mm-hmm. But I have found materials now where I can access, um, you know, a lot more information. Like, I use TuneIn Radio. I use BBC Arabic. Al Jazeera Arabic. Uh, I listen to Hey Fali about Lebanon. I picked Egypt and Lebanon to be the two countries to focus on the most. Yeah. And um, and then I I did the review for the uh, Mandarin the uh, Mandarin Foundation, and then I did the Arabic um, MSA, so I can understand how they speak. You know, from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you can learn MSA and be understood. Um, I don't know if I'll learn the Braille code for Arabic, but I will learn the alphabet for Arabic. Yeah. Um, because it's really not that difficult. I, you know, I will say writing the, writing it out or using an Arabic keyboard, you know, once you know the alphabet, it won't be so hard for you to be able to, to type it out. If you want to type it out. What, what is their keyboard like? Um, well, I don't know if you have an iPhone. I don't know what kind of phone you have. Uh, no, I have an Android. But, okay, do you know what the Mandarin, uh, like how to, how to type uh, Mandarin Chinese? Oh, she said, no, you're doing Cantonese. But to type Chinese, do you, um, do you use like a sound input or do you use the, the radicals? Actually, um. I use Siri, but what I do, this is what I do. I'll go and I'll down, I'll go, um, because since I have Apple products, I go to settings, I go to accessibility, I go to voiceover, I go to voices, like speech, and then I download the, 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 the voice of that particular language. Ah, okay. And then, and then I'll get out of that, and then I'll go to keyboard, and I'll find that keyboard for that particular language. That's a good idea. Yeah, because I just I just heard a really good um, Radio Lab episode where they were talking about the different, basically the fight over the keyboard for for uh, Chinese language, and right. it was it was because such. They have, a good episode. They have mm-hmm. Cantonese, but then they also have if you're doing Pinyin, they have that one. Then they have another one. Um, I think it just depends if you're doing Mandarin. Now, mind you. I learned basic Cantonese using the Mango app on my phone because I have a library. Mm-hmm. 
search until I got it for free. And mm-hmm. I said, well, why don't I try this? Because that was my first, my first ever last year um, Asian language. Mm-hmm. And I, I studied film in college as well, so I have a film degree and a theater degree. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like, oh, you know, that's another reason I love languages because I love film. Mm-hmm. I like watching plenty of movies from like overseas, and I can tell you, I've watched some Thai stuff, some Cantonese stuff, some Japanese stuff. I couldn't get into Korean as much, even though I did review the Korean Foundation course that Michelle promised over the summer. But I really, it, I, it didn't lock in my head like Japanese or Cantonese or Thai. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I did lock in a little bit of Mandarin, but that's because I'm going to be interviewing um, Harold Goodman, who did the the courses for the Michelle Thomas Method. I mean, uh, there are people that don't particularly like it, but I always tell people, what works for me might not work for you, but you still sure. might want to try it to see if you like it. Sure. And, I mean, you can download the PDF books from the site for free and, okay. and follow along. You know, to make sure you, you know, you're picking, I mean, because they really do work with the sounds. Because mm-hmm. there's only four tones. There's only four tones in Mandarin, so it's not as difficult to be able to write it at a playful level as yeah. opposed to if you want to write it. I mean, if you want to write it, you know, um, you'd be, t- that'd take a minute. Like, there is, <laughs> there is, there is the factor that if you are blind, um, you can learn. Um, Mandarin Braille, Cantonese Braille, Japanese Braille, Thai Braille. But you got to know the alphabet. And, you know, you got to know the tones because the tones are tone tone based. I mean, Cantonese have more tones than uh, Mandarin does. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, too, it's like, if I feel like reading in that language, that's one thing. But honestly, I'm more about wanting to speak and be understood and understand what other people, the, the idea of me having the right text messages all the time and try to have voiceover read that to me in the language you know honestly like that's not why I'm, I'm doing it for yeah. pretty much yeah. I mean I know in reality you don't have time to write stuff down you know especially if you're going to a supermarket a restaurant or somewhere you don't have time to write stuff down or to figure out what grammar you know and the grammar is pretty simple that's the good part about it and the cool thing about Mandarin is that there's no no conjugations of any kind. So that's kind of a cool thing, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I have found that because I mind map everything in my head and I'm able to, to visualize it in my head, the word order, how it's supposed to go, it's mm-hmm. easier for me to pick things up. Um, a lot quicker, a lot more quickly. I mean, it took me like three days to get through the the actual Mandarin course itself. And then I took a break because I went through nine courses in like five months. Wow. Um, That's a lot. So, so, yeah, it's a lot when you're doing it and then you're you're reviewing it and then you're putting it out there. But people like it. Like, I almost got like 50 listens just for Mandarin, for the basic Mandarin course. Which I, you know, I got to still do the intermediate. I still got to do the vocabulary builder and, and, and review those. But and then I'll hit on German afterwards. But um, personally, like for me, um, technology's gotten better with with the Apple products because five years ago 
there wasn't braille tables for all the languages out there for me to be able to like buy a, a ebook, download the voice, download the keyboard, download the table, and then have voiceover read me the file in that script. Like I got Harry Potter in Arabic ebook, and I had wow. to download. I had to download all of the stuff. It wasn't. It wasn't hard. It was real easy. You know. Yeah. But, but if I didn't do that, it wouldn't have been able to read the Arabic script correctly. Mm-hmm. So we're lucky now that we're with the updates that they've had since the, you know bringing out the new iPhones last year. Um, you know that I'm able to do that because when I got started in the language learning community myself. I didn't have all of those resources that I do today. I had to have help finding Russian resources and and because you know even though people think that we're from the U.S., we have it. They think we have it made, and not everything is in a digital format that's accessible, whether it's PSD, HTML, SD, or um, root text format if you have a Mac. And so you know everything's in PDF, and not everything can be read in PDF. Like I just did an interview yesterday with Shannon Kennedy for Women in Language, and the sound quality, you know, she's a very soft speaker. So you have to have your um, volume up in order to hear her. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Even though I could hear her on my phone, it was still, you know, but, I mean, people still, like, I got, like, 23 listens now, and it hasn't even been 24 hours since I put it out. So, <laughs> so you know... But my listeners know that I suck at editing, so I can't afford an editor, so I put it out there. And if you still get what I'm saying and what the other person's saying, then that's more important than do you need the most professional podcast on the Facebook planet, you know. So I wouldn't have had 14 and a half listeners in 28 months if I was, you know, so worried about how professional I wanted it. So I'm kind of, you know, happy with how it is. And I do have to say that, you know, it's a lot more easier now to get things um, accessible, um, you know, because of TuneIn Radio, because of Spotify and SoundCloud and other apps and whatever, where you can have free content to listen to from all over the world. And plus I join Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. to practice my languages that I want to speak, to make new friends, and cooking groups corresponding to those countries if I want to learn how to cook. So I, I joined a Lebanese vegetarian group, a Lebanese cooking group, a Lebanese speaking group, because we have a lot of Lebanese people from Lebanon, and then we have people from Egypt. And so I'm learning both dialects plus MSA. And, um, yeah, it you know, I use YouTube and watch movies with subtitles and have voiceover speak it to me out loud on my Apple TV. And I'm into El Heba now and and watching Ramadan shows, and which is like 30 episodes a show every day for Ramadan and on Netflix. And it's, it's you know, it's coming along as far as accessibility more now than it was five years ago when I started mm-hmm. out in the community before I even created my podcast. That 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 means something to me, not only as a language learner, but to help people understand this wasn't always easy 
for me to get information to be able to, you know, and there was a lot of people that were extremely ignorant. They didn't understand that, you know, when you create content, it's not just for 80% of the the sighted world that reads a book or can read print from their computer screen. You know, not everyone can read print anymore from their computer screen with no text-to-speech software or a display. So if they even have the money for a display. So, you know, you have to, like, have stuff put in a format that's accessible because you're you're putting a piece of, you know, information out there that you want people to buy, but you don't want to put it all in PDF. I understand that that might be convenient, but look at the inconvenience that that might do to somebody that might be coming on your website, might not be able to navigate it might not be able to buy what you're offering because they can't put their information in the form fields because every time they try, the screen moves. So <laughs> it was made wrong, you know, or the settings weren't set right or whatever the case may be. And when you let them know this in a professional manner, then, you know, you have, you know, flack from that because they don't get it. They only see it their way, but yet you get... Well, we, we learn differently. We all do. Yes, we all do. But there are disability rights laws in the Western world, and they have to be applied. And if they're not applied, and you're sitting there and you're creating content, you have to be sued because you're not you're creating content, but you're not doing it 100%. You're only doing it for the 80%. Where's the 20% that really wants to benefit from whatever it is you're selling? Yeah. So I try to um, bring that up as much as I possibly can to educate people in the, the language community because it's not just about making a buck. You know, it's about impacting people in a positive way. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's something that I seem to like to harp on. To let them know because they really don't know, you know, and I think a lot of it is because they're not exposed to certain disabilities. They might be exposed to people that have autism or ADD or ADHD, or they might have some other neurological disability. But if it's a visual impairment or death, which, you know, might be not that often, they, they come in contact with someone like that. Um, it's a foreign concept for them, you know. So, I mean, it's my way to, to educate people on, you know, we learn through. We just, you know, and but everyone that's in the blind community isn't totally blind. And it's not all darkness or all, you know, light. It's in between half and half. Like half of me, I can't see at all on one side of my body. The other half I can. But that means I can't, you know, it's impaired. So I can't read print anymore. I can't see further than five feet in front of me distance-wise. But I can't see what McDonald's looks like. I just can't tell you what the address is. Or I walk in there and I see, you know, the food that's hanging up, you know, the signs of the food that's hanging up on the wall. But I can't tell you what it, what it said print-wise. So those are the types of issues I deal with. So, but that's just me. Not everybody's the same. And a lot of people seem to push people that are in the blind community all in the same um, category when they're not. 
So, yeah. So that's basically how I um, come about with my languages. And I do a lot more speaking and a lot <laughs> more listening. And I focus, even when I'm with my students, I focus on speaking and listening and pronunciation because they need to understand what's being said to them. And a lot of times, they focus on the grammar too much. Yep. That comes later. The reading and writing comes later. You need to be able to communicate your wants and needs first. You know. And even if you want to learn Braille, um, you know, you still need to be able to be proficient in the language. You know. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to read and write. Because that's what it is, a form of reading and writing, and you can learn how to do math and use it, you know, in science, you know, for science and other subjects. And you can learn languages through the reading and writing aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I can read in most of the languages I know that are Latin based. So I can read in Russian, Dutch, Spanish, Italian, uh, French, Swedish. That's because I know the alphabet, German. But, um, you know, I would have to learn the alphabet in Arabic in order to be able to start reading. Mm-hmm. You know, like learn it auditorily and have it memorized. Yeah. Then, yeah. But, you know, like I tell someone, if you if you know your numbers up to a certain amount and you know your alphabet, you'll be able to read and write. But that comes later. Like, I didn't read anything in Spanish Braille until about six years ago. Yeah. Well, I think it really depends on the person. I, I hear what you're saying, that that is what works for you. And I really, really think it depends on what language, what's the motivation, how is the person going to use it? Are they going to use it? Or are they just is it going to be like a private language? For me, Mandarin learning Mandarin Chinese was going to be a reading language, period. I had, even though I was living in China at the time, I had no want, need, or desire to use it verbally because I know my strengths and weaknesses, and I knew how many dialects existed in the country, and I knew how long I was going to be there, and I was like, I'm going to take this language with me no matter where I go in the world, and for me, that's a reading language, and so that's how I approached it. And so I think it really, really, but I, I, yeah. I think it's a very personal thing, and I think it can different parts of a language come can come to a person or can attract a person differently. So I, I think it's a bit of a slippery slope for for teachers or the educational system or anybody to say you have to start doing this first because I think it really is a personal. Right. I don't even know if it's a decision, but a, a personal calling <laughs> right. well, into the language. I guess because I've been working with a lot of people and they want to be able to understand what they're what they're um, learning. And English is ninety percent of what they're learning, mm-hmm. but they focus so much on the grammar. They not they're not focused on actual speech mm-hmm. and how people speak. Mm-hmm. And so they their speaking skills can be quite poor because they're mm-hmm. they're not exposed to it. Oh, sure. Where, where are they from? Um, What's their first languages? A lot of them, some, most of them, Latina Americana Comunidad in Honduras. Yeah. Um, um, or they were from, like, um, Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say Asian, especially China, they're very big about test scores and tests, mm-hmm. but you can get all A's and B's in English, mm-hmm. but if you cannot understand what someone is saying to you in spoken English, mm-hmm. you're screwed. This one person came to the U.S., dropped, landed right into New York. Mm-hmm. Couldn't understand a thing no one said. Mm-hmm. Had straight A's in English. And I said, there's a difference between academics and the real world. Sadly, there is. Yeah. And but. if you focus just on test scores, that's not, test scores is only going to get you to pass a test to get into a good school. But, but if you're not able to understand, and because in the U.S. you have so many different accents, you know, I live in Ohio, but I don't sound like I'm from Ohio. Why? Well, I was influenced by California, the South, um, you know, New Jersey, different other places. And so, therefore, I hardly sound like I'm from Ohio. You know, like people think that I'm a valley girl from, like, California. (laughs) So, for me, you know, I I can pick up other people's accents pretty well, Mm -hmm. you know. And they're speaking English, American English, or whatever form of English they happen to speak. But when you're, someone tells me, I'm learning, I've been learning English for four years, but they can't tell me what they did yesterday or how their weekend was. But that's not, that may not have been what they've been learning. I mean, there's, 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 there's whole textbooks that don't get to practical information, but, uh, but, but also there's a lot of textbooks, language textbooks in many different languages I've seen that talk about the weather incessantly. And a lot of us don't say more than one sentence about the weather. And yet there's all these activities where you're talking for 20 minutes about the weather. That's not realistic. Well, yeah. yeah, And see, like I try to use real life. Um, examples like okay so what did you cook yesterday for dinner you see what I'm saying mm-hmm. in order to get them to start using the language sure okay, do, you, do you know what your fruits and vegetables are in English you see what I'm saying I know you know them in Spanish I know them in Spanish I know them in Russian okay what do you you see what I'm saying so I try to get them to it's I try to expose them to more information than what they're accustomed to and they're like, well, I like reading. And I was like, okay, so what do you like to read? What type of books? You know, what type of sports? What are your hobbies? You know, um, you know, are you political? Do you like religion? Do you like to talk about philosophy? Do you like gardening? What kind of flowers? You know, try to open them up. And I don't think that they've really focused on that. It's mostly grammar. And I said, but that's not how you learn. You don't learn from a grammar book. Well, they they can learn vocabulary and they can sort of be exposed to the grammar, but you do have right. to use it. Agreed. But I also, I can also appreciate where they're coming from. Learning a language is hard for a lot of people. So for me, I do tend to hold on to, like, I need to write something down. 
Like when I have tutors and things that are trying to just get me to just keep speaking, just keep speaking. I'm like, I need to see it for me. I need to write. I'm the very touch tactile learner. I need to write it down. I, when I learned, was learning Mandarin, I was constantly practicing the characters and stuff like that. Like there's, I think there's different things that different people are comfortable with, with language. And if these people have spent their entire time reading and studying the grammar, then to switch them over to just speaking, it's a little uncomfortable for a while. And I'm glad you're doing it because that's something it sounds like they need, but it's going to be uncomfortable for them. Well, it was funny though because that's what they wanted. They wanted to speak. Oh, there's tons of things I want in life that are uncomfortable for me to get. So I, it, it's it's still true. <laughs> it's, right. Yeah. I guess for me, it was, I mean, now don't get me wrong. I've made tons of friends and they loved what I did. I mean, sure. I came up with so many ideas to get them to, you know, we would do scenarios like let's pretend we're at a restaurant in New York City mm-hmm. at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll play the way. I got them to speak. And they loved it, mm-hmm. you know, because it was something that they could do. It was something that they could talk about. I said, okay, let's go on Skype. Let's see what you have in your refrigerator. You see what I'm saying? Can you tell mm-hmm. me what you have in your refrigerator in English? You see what I'm saying? And we, yeah. would, do, we would do language swaps like that. And people enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a, a great, you know, I was trying to be as creative and out the box as I could. Because I don't use textbooks. I just use real information because that's mm-hmm. all you have to go by. If if I go out of the country, I want to be able to order food in mm-hmm. that language. I want to be able to have a taxi or catch a bus or, a you know, a tram or something. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to ask for directions. Yes, you want these basic things. I want to be able to tell certain things. I at least want to be at a B1. You know, I don't want to go there, like, completely, like, clueless you know so i and i also still do things that some people don't do like i actually go and study the laws and the customs of that country Mm -hmm. as someone that's disabled i have a little bit more you know reading up to do in regards to disability rights if i bring my guide dog you know how long do I have to have him quarantined? Or, you know, what what are the shot procedures? You know, how many shots I have to have for both of us? You know, how long, you know, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those types of things. Okay, what country do I feel comfortable going into? How, much, how many rights do I have as someone that's a tourist, that's someone that's disabled, that's what, you see what I'm saying? So those types of things, you know, I try to... Um, you know, find out about the country because you don't want to go somewhere. You get to the border. You don't have all your paperwork. You get turned away. You didn't spend all this money. Oh, my God. You know, and I've seen people where it's that's happened to them and they didn't even have a disability. So, you know, and then they had to deal with laws and customs that weren't their own. And, you know, I also look at, okay, what type of attire should I bring, you know, how do they dress over there? You know, how do you interact with a man over there and a woman over there versus in your own country, so forth and so forth. So when I'm studying a language, I take all of that seriously. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking to my students, you know, I ask these types of questions because, you know, I want to know from my own curiosity sake, 
because you don't want to feel like you're offending anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're going in someone else's backyard. You know, I mean, because a lot of people they come over here and they think that I'm going to become a billionaire overnight. That ain't so true. You know, that's <laughs> so, rarely true. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, unless you have an engineering degree, you have some tech savviness going on. You know, you can make the right connections then, yeah, you can make a lot of money, but you're going to be starting at the bottom just like the rest of us. And it is, it is a culture shock. It's a tremendous culture shock because 90% of what they're getting, their information about our country is a prime example. TV. We're getting the same thing, but the difference is when I make friends over in other countries, I'm always asking about what's it like over there. You see what I'm saying? Because I don't want to have any... Um, negative views prior to me going over there mm-hmm. about them. You know, I want to go there with a clear head, mm-hmm. open to whatever, you know, I experience in mm-hmm. a positive way, of course. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to feel like, I don't want to go somewhere and, and be judgmental of somebody else's culture because God knows that's not cool. So for me, um, you know, that's another thing. I, I try to make as many friends as I can in the language. And even if I only speak a little bit of it, you know, a few words, a few phrases here and there, it's getting me one step closer to, you know, um, understanding where they're coming from, you know, and not pushing my views on them, you know. Because, you know, I could see where that would be a little bit irritating, you know, because um, we have a lot of that cultural appropriation stuff happening here. You can't speak Spanish right now or Russian or Chinese or Arabic without somebody, you know, being very rude and very mean. And, hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's getting bad. <laughs> so, um, but... In, in hindsight, though, I, I find it to be um, an amazing experience to be able to learn about other people, even if you just learn a little bit. You know, it's more than what you knew before you started. So. Um, I was going to ask. What made you want to start? Um, oh, what made you want to go to China and... Germany. Well, I've actually been, uh, I've lived outside the U.S. for the majority of the past 16 years. Um, I've just always been someone who has wanted to learn about other places uh, more than in books and movies and and music. I wanted to go to a lot of places. So, um, yeah, I've lived in a lot of different places over the years. Uh, China and Germany are, are the most recent two. But there, there's a bunch more in the mix. So it's just a sheer curiosity. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I really, I really love living in other places. I love being actually confused and lost and having to figure my way out of situations and swimming in a language I don't understand yet and just 
being just people watching and being curious about what people are doing and what it means. And just I, I love being surrounded by something I don't understand. <laughs> like a language nomad. But more than language, language, culture, daily life, like everything all wrapped into one. Yeah. Because I, I didn't I didn't initially go overseas thinking I was going to learn all the languages and which is good because I haven't learned a lot of languages. I've learned a little bit about a lot of languages. Um, I really wanted to learn more about the culture. I wanted to see what people's daily life was like. I wanted to experience things. I wanted to taste things. I wanted to go to places. I wanted to, you know, experience things in other places. Right. What's your favorite country so far? No, I can't do that. <laughs> it's too hard. There's different things about each place that I really liked. Like in Vietnam, I loved the food and my students were hungry for knowledge. So that, that those two things are really liked about there. In Japan, there's a serenity and a politeness. No matter how surface people say some of the politeness, oh, we should hear what they really think. Oh, really? Honestly, I'm cool with people pretending to be polite because it feels polite and nice and gentle to me. <laughs> and so I loved right. that. And the cuteness, I miss the cuteness of everything from the pencils to the pastries to like just everything had a level of fun to it that is not so true in a lot of other places. So there's there's little things like that in each place. In Germany, they're incredibly outdoor people. I love how much people bicycle and walk and people go to the parks all the time. Like it's a very, very outdoor culture. And I love that to death. I am not a car person. So I love how other transportation they are here. It's it's very nice. That is awesome. So are you able to speak a lot more German? Um, right. Right. Um, I'm not in an English bubble, but I wasn't. I I am kind of in a COVID bubble because we got here in January and in March is when the lockdown first hit. And although things have opened up, I am kind of delicate health, so I haven't been going out and doing a lot of stuff in groups. I've been meeting up with some friends individually, but I've been pretty isolated either in the apartment or going for walks by myself or with my husband. So I haven't really had as much of a chance as I would like to practice the language. Um, And we're probably needing to leave at the end of October. So a bit of my motivation for keeping going with German is a bit of a struggle fest right now. So I'm trying to figure out how to keep myself motivated, knowing that I'll probably have to leave the place where I would use it the most. So it's a bit challenging. I was going to say, so what's the food like? Um, It's incredibly fresh and safe and beautiful, but not tasty. I think I heard yesterday there is, no, sorry, tasty is the wrong word, not not spicy, not flavorful. They generally use like uh, three or four different uh-huh. spices, like salt, pepper, paprika, and I don't remember what the fourth one is, <laughs> but very limited uh, spice range. But it's incredibly hearty and comfort foodish and and very delicious but it's not a wide range oh wow yeah because my cousin spent eight years over in germany and married somebody mm-hmm. he was half black half european and they spoke german gypsy um english mm-hmm. and i think 
French. I can't remember the other language. Mm-hmm. But, but um, she um, was, you know, um, he never learned German, but they spent like eight years over in Germany because mm-hmm. he was in the military. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. There would definitely be an English bubble in the military base at the military bases, for sure. Yeah. So I um, and I know someone that went over there that was totally blind. She went over there for her master's degree and mm-hmm. and and she got her bachelor's and master's at the same university. Mm-hmm. And um, she's fluent in German now. I mean, it's funny because I listened to Rammstein for twenty years, uh, and that was my German resource. And I actually could understand a lot more German than speak it. Yeah, I can see that. Because the, the, the two biggest things for me are that the words are so stinking long. <laughs> and, and the, the oh, grammar the structure. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the sentence structure is a little bit different where a lot of times the verbs will get kicked in the sentence. So you're waiting for the action. You're like, I understand who, I understand where. What is it? What is happening? Where's the action? <laughs> well, you know, that's just like, but that's just like in Korean. They do the same thing. Or they do the same thing in like Japanese. Oh, see, I don't know those two very well. The main things I knew in Japanese, um, cause I spent like three months uh, time periods there were like sushi terms, uh, shogunai, like it can't be helped, <laughs> and uh, arigato gozaimasu, and like little greetings like that is mostly what I learned when I was there. Um, but but I could read a lot more last time I went back because I had been studying Chinese for two years, and right. there, one of the scripts is based on traditional Chinese characters, and I was learning simplified, so I could I could read some of the things some of the times when they used that script. But Japanese is such a fascinating language with how wow structured structured it. I, I love the food and the cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love um, the food and the cinema. Like, yeah, like, amazing. Wow. Have you seen yeah. any good movies lately? Any good Japanese movies? Uh, well, I finally got the audition um, on digital, and that was, like, one of my favorite Japanese horror movies of, like, all time. And Wait, which one is that? Audition. I don't know that one. Okay. Oh, you have to watch it. The Audition. Oh, so Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't tell you what it's about, but I will tell you the chick in the movie, she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's funny. It's funny. Because the way that they make movies over in Asia is so freaking cool. And the way that they use stuff. Because they don't use, like, guns and stuff. They use other mm-hmm. things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, wire and knives. And, you know, like, ooh, ooh. And I'm, like, yeah, it's, it's, um, I watched this one Thai movie called Still. And it was, like, one of those thrillers, sci-fi thrillers, like suspense, but um, it was about this, this guy and this chick, and the chick died in this, this club and fire, and so he thought anyway, and so he was at this, this boarding uh, house where he had got this room, and he kept seeing blood and fingers come up the, the drain, the sink, in the bathroom, <clears throat> and he 
it was like, the, the lady was like, well, you need to clean it. You need to clean it with drainer. And I'm like, you idiot. Somebody died in this freaking daggone bathroom and you expect them to put it with freaking bloody feet. Yeah. Came up to yeah. <laughs> wow. He knew that the place was possessed. You know, yeah. Sometimes, like, you know, disturbance. Yeah. And I'm like, he was like, well, you owe me money. And he was like, I'm not paying you anything. Are you crazy? And so um, he goes and leaves. So then she goes and she gets desperate. So she goes out and, 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 and prostitutes to get these two guys to come to this room. Because she needs wow. money. But yeah. she knows that, the, that this place, you know, people have been killed in this bathroom. So they didn't have sex and did all this stuff. She goes and gets them to go in there, knowing what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, they wind up dying, or supposedly wind up dying. And then the some type of, like, vortex happens where, you know, the this window opens and she gets sucked in and and the the chick that they thought died in the fire really didn't die and beats her to you know butt and everything and and um you know she winds up you know getting back with the guy at the end or whatever but mm-hmm. that chick got what was coming to her but she knew that that whole entire room and that freaking bathroom was possessed killing people wow yeah and it, it's it's like i had english subtitles on and i'm sitting there watching this like i cannot believe this chick this chick is crazy and then I watched this one movie that was in Cantonese called Secrets, and it was about these two teenagers that were about to graduate high school. And the one girl, they were both piano prodigies, and she was supposed to play at this recital, and they were going to tear down school and with the piano that was in there forever. And um, he finally got the girl to, to, to play at the recital, and they played, and as they were playing this particular day, they decided that they wanted to tear the school down and they wanted to save the piano. And so they were trying to get the piano out while the place was blowing up around them. And of course, of course, most of the Chinese Asian movies, whether it's from man, you know, mainland China, Hong Kong, Thailand, Japan, Korea, someone's parent is either dying and in the hospital and then the other person, the other person has to sacrifice their happiness for the soul of the family because the other person's about to lose their farm or lose their business yeah. or lose. And I noticed that whole thing going through all these different, you know, particular mm-hmm. countries. But it was so, it's so beautiful how they make it and the stories and. And I'm just like, ooh, I like this language. I mean, and that's what gets me hooked to it a lot of times <laughs> is is the the movies because you know you get tired of watching stuff in English. I love uh, like ghost stories or like superstitious kind of things, and I think the Japanese and the Korean ones are the best. They're so minimalist that it's scarier you know what i mean like they don't overdo anything they really make you sit on the edge of your seat like wait a minute what's happening right now <laughs> right i mean it's just like when i was watching the audition for the first time i was watching it in broad daylight 
And if you watch a scary movie in broad daylight and it scares the crap out of yeah. you, you know. That's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> and my, my, my aunt about, oh, this isn't scary. Because, you know, she loves scary movies and nothing has phased her yet. She's seen everything and nothing has scared her at all. I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, there's some things that have, and yeah. but you know I also like the technical ways of how they did the movie, how they shot it. And yeah, yeah. Well, don't don't, don't tell me too much. I just wrote it down. I want to see it, so don't don't spoil it. Like, don't spoil it. But I do need to I do need to ask that we wrap this up because it's been about an hour. And my husband's waiting for dinner. <laughs> I'm in the future. It's like seven o'clock at night here. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um. So. My last question, uh, what made you want to create your um, your blog? Um, my podcast? Yeah, 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 because, I mean, I saw your page. Ah, yeah, my po- my podcast. Well, I have the podcast and the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel started first, and that was just following me, having fun with the, the script while I was learning Mandarin Chinese. And then I started to interview people, and then it turned into the podcast, and I I was a language instructor for a very long time, and I went in and out of academia trying to trying to put the practical side of language teaching into the theoretical side, and the two don't really mingle well together. So I got frustrated that a lot of the things I wanted to say from my experience in the classrooms with my students, I couldn't actually say in academia. I couldn't get printed. I couldn't get you know, I couldn't convince people would actually work. So when I discovered the podcast, I was like, oh, my gosh, not only can I, like, voice my own opinions about what I've seen and done and all that, but I can actually ask other people all the questions I've been thinking this whole time, like, wondering about all these other languages that I haven't encountered yet. So it it just kind of exploded because I was just so excited to have that much access to that many people um, who like talking about languages. And so, yeah, so that was just it. It was, there was no gatekeeper anymore. It was me and a mic and, and another person. Oh yeah. I, I kind of feel, I kind of feel the same way. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess the only caveat to mine is that because I'm visually impaired, like no one really knows how someone like me would learn. And I mean, honestly, I went from being a large print reader to audio and then to some braille but mostly audio yeah and you know i look at print as a way of reading as a way of getting more information yeah that way but at the same time as it became difficult for me to read um you know i i always had audio in the background Mm -hmm. and i i gotta tell you i've learned so much about uh, your experiences and when you have other uh, um, visually impaired people on your podcast, I learned so much about that world that I never thought of before. And I, I really want to, I, I tip my hat to you, Chanel. There's, there's things that I never thought about and you guys just explain it so well. well so well. Know, thank you. I, you know, cause I knew that there wasn't any podcast out there like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I tell people all the time, I don't compete. You know, I know I can never compete with like Ollie Richards or. It's it's not a competition. We all have our own take right. on what we're doing. Yeah. So. Right. And and I've interviewed him, and he's a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. Um. However, he, I knew that I wouldn't be someone that creates courses for people, but mm-hmm. I like living by experience. And yeah. I come out and I'll say, I'm not. You know. 
I don't do anything that is terribly different mm-hmm. than other people. You know, I use a lot of audio material mm-hmm. and it does take time. I think it takes time because I'm either motivated to learn that particular language or, you know, you get excited about something and you dabble in it and then you come to find out it's not the language for you, but you, you don't beat yourself up about it. You go to something else that you're more passionate about, but you're kind of glad you went and did it because you learned something about somebody else. Mm-hmm. Culture, because you put your foot in the water. Yeah. So, you know, I tell people that all the time. I was like, if you want to learn 30 languages, learn a language in a year. You know, mm-hmm. learn to whatever you want to learn it to. You know, mm-hmm. people think that, oh, well, you're a fraud and you're this. And and I don't pay attention to that. But Good. You know, I've had people call me out, you know. No, I I think that's one thing that's missing is that playfulness with the language and that, you know, I want to try this. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. I still learned something, but I'm going to go and try this other one. Like that kind of attitude would do a lot of people well because people get very serious about language learning. And oh, commu- so serious. So serious. Um, and communication is fun. People, it's fun. Stop stop oh, being so serious. Oh, well, you, know, it's, you know, it's funny. I tell people, too, learn the curse words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because guess what? They can be cussing you out, and you wouldn't even know it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I tell people, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I actually go out and I make it my mission. Uh-huh. If I'm learning a language, like I, I want to be able to order food in Japanese. Yeah. So, so I've gone around and I've ordered food in Thai so far, Latin mm-hmm. Arabic, Egyptian Arabic. Um, I've done it in Spanish. I've done it in Russian. I've done it in Cantonese. I haven't done it in Hindi yet, but I plan on it. And I haven't done it in Japanese yet, and I plan on it. But if I can find a Turkish restaurant, I'll do that, too. But I do little things like that. Like, mm-hmm. I'll learn all the food that I want to that I want to learn how to make. I'll learn all the food for that and the different measurements and all that type of stuff. And I'll start listening to, like, to um, YouTube channels. I'll find cooking mm-hmm. pages on Facebook and groups and stuff. And I'll mm-hmm. start learning how to make stuff and then I'll take pictures and show it and and you know that's how I make friends and stuff and they're like wow you're visually impaired you're well my vision might be limited as far as being able to read the stuff I have it read to me and I just listen and you know I'll go get the spices online and people don't realize how costly things are but mm-hmm. I like if, if if I can break bread with you over some food that's the greatest communication of language known to man. Hurrah! That is so true. That is so true. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've even started. I've even started a cooking podcast recently. So, I know. I've heard about that. I need to get on there. What's the name of it again? Cooking with Chanel, the visually impaired wife, is on Anchor. Awesome. I have like nine episodes. So I even made the the cake that Prince William had for his mm-hmm. wedding. Cake yep. I made it. Yeah, it is so easy to make. Okay, now you're talking about food and my my dinner's. Oh, yeah. okay. It's ready. It's ready. <laughs> I'm so hungry. I'm sorry. Where, where can where can people find you if they want to know more information? Yeah, the most central place is at stephfuccio.com. It's S T E P H F U C C I O. All of my podcasts, the YouTube channel, 
all the projects, podcasting services, my whole online life is boom in that one spot. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, Chanel. This is awesome. This will probably be out like two weeks from now because um, I've already put two two episodes out already, and I want them to get as much play as I can. And I know that sure, sure. The International Podcast Day on the thirtieth, mm-hmm. I would put it out like nine days before. So awesome. Okay, just let me know when it goes out, and I will blast okay. it all over my my feeds. Okay. Cool. Thank, Thank you so much. You're okay. Welcome. Bye. Bye.